there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Performance Marketing Insiders. I am really, really excited to dive in with today's guest. Uh, she is Chief Marketing Officer at Rike, which is one of the most powerful work management tools on the market. Uh, and having held roles in demand gen, customer and lifecycle marketing and marketing ops at companies like Conga, Conversant, and ReturnPath, she knows a thing or two about how to rally customers around a brand. Um, and in fact, she recently won the Most Outstanding Woman uh, in Business Awards from the Denver Business Journal, which is uh, not an easy award to win. Um, but aside from working up the marketing ranks at, at a fairly young age, she's got an amazing personal story that is inspiring thousands uh, of up-and-coming marketing leaders. And she's just an amazing person in general. So I'm really excited to be Diving in, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Esther Flammer, CMO of Reich. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Happy to chat with you on this beautiful Friday morning. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm honored to be here with you. I was uh, doing a little bit of research. I saw uh, you had this awesome interview from uh, Salesforce's CMO Club recently. So I learned all about your whole backstory. And I'm, I'm interested to get into that. I'm interested to talk about Reich. Uh, but you know the audience here. We love basically the, those 80-20 secrets. So what, like, you must have a lot of secrets, Have like, with your background and just, like, your career trajectory. What do you attribute? Like, what is one of your biggest uh, secrets to marketing success? Yeah, it's a great question. As I think about how I've built my career and how I've helped um, a lot of high growth companies um, accelerate really quickly. Um, as I think about some of the reasons why I'm in marketing and why I love what I do, um, for me, kind of the secret is really around making sure that you're creating that space for marketing to really activate as a strategic driver for an organization. Um, I talk about this a lot because I'm really passionate about it. And again, this is why I think, you know, I'm in marketing, why I think marketing is can be really that driver for success for any organization, at any single, any company, any industry, any size. Because um, to me, marketing is not just a support function. And oftentimes you do see that where, you know, they're a supporter of sales. They help drive leads and pipeline. Um, and get revenue out the door. Um, they, you know, help with sales tools and field events and, and making things look nice, you know, from a brand standpoint. But in my mind, it goes so much further than that. Um, and I think, you know, if you really want to position yourself in an organization, as well as your function and your department, and specifically the marketing team in an organization, <clears throat> it has to center around the organizational strategy. Um it is really flipping things on its head because oftentimes what you see when you go into an organization is it's uh, sales asking for things, it's <clears throat> product handing you the roadmap and saying, here, go and launch this to market. It is the CEO saying, hey, we want to go after a certain vertical. Let's start to go after, you know, healthcare. Um, that's the organizational strategy. So go and do. For me, it is flipping it on its head where marketing should be 
at the pulse, like our fingers should be on the pulse of what is actually happening in the market. What is actually shaping the market? How can we as a company and us as a solution position ourselves to be those innovation drivers and to start to capture that market in a way where no one else can? And so for me, it is ensuring that you are really understanding of market trends, really understanding of competitive you know, trends and what, what are the competitors doing? Where is the industry headed? What are some of the things that we can really capitalize on in terms of overall, even macroeconomic environment or b- different changes in buyer behavior, um, as well as you know, all of the trends around new tech and AI and all of those components? And then how do you actually bring that into a strategy where you can differentiate yourself as an organization in a really saturated space yeah, where, where you can really start to analyze the market and figure out what are our key markets that we should go after and then actually mod- mobilize a strategy across the entire organization to go and dominate that market. Yeah. Um, and it really is. It's working with every single department across an organization. So yeah. It's, Sorry, super long-winded, but that's kind of the secret that that I like to I like to really uh, tell people. So it's not so much of a secret. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's incredibly powerful. The idea of flipping some flipping anything on its head a lot of times can be powerful, but especially as marketers, um, we are regularly handed the strategy. Like it's always or almost always like, hey, healthcare is our vertical marketing team go after healthcare. So I think a lot of the listeners right now are in a position where the strategy is being dictated behind closed doors, being developed behind closed doors. And they're like given these targets or these goals or these segments of the market, or even sometimes products or, you know, certain use cases. And, and they're kind of given these as targets. How can one go about like flipping the script, like in a scenario where you may not have uh, an absolute seat at the table. You may not have an executive team that's like on that same wavelength, which I know that they are at Reich. Um, How could somebody like move in that direction of yeah. being able to being able to have those bigger, like higher level, higher impact types of conversations that uh, dictate not just the marketing strategy but the org strategy? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think it's a struggle for a lot of organizations is to. One, make sure that marketing has a seat at the table in, in terms of those conversations. And then two, ensure that, um, you know, marketing is is really at the forefront of some of those conversations before they even happen. Um, and if that's not the case, um, one is you have to build the trust, right? And you have to be able to understand what are the organizational priorities why are they the priorities for the company at that time um, or at this particular time and really understand it. And that to me is one piece of, look, in some cases, yeah, you just have a, a top-down number or you just have you know, a certain strategy that has already been set um, or a product roadmap that's been built for years. And this is just the way that it's headed. I think one is to truly dig into why is that a priority does that make the most sense um, for our business at this time and understand kind of some of the data and the reasonings behind it? And then how do we align to that strategy? Um, And if in the event that it really isn't the right strategy, you know, 
The second piece in my mind is building relationships of trust to ensure that you actually can have the appropriate conversations that uh, allow for you to potentially be able to bring a different point of view or a different perspective of we've, we've, we've evaluated the opportunity, we've taken a look at the data, and that's kind of my third point, which is data and insights, um, which is we've looked at the data, we've looked at the insights, we've maybe done a market analysis, we've monitored to see what our competitors are doing. Here's really where we where our sweet spot is from a differentiation standpoint. And I'd like to potentially build a business case to look at a different strategy or can I pilot, you know, a different market um, or a different uh, go-to-market strategy, even in this smaller space to see if we can maybe activate more, or we could drive more revenue or conversions through this particular market. Um, and I'd like to bring that to the table to showcase why I think we should be going this route. So it is an evolution. It's not always going to be perfect of everyone is all on the same page and marketing as a seat at the table and gets to drive a lot of those conversations. It really is about that relationship building. It really is about building the business case around here's, here's you know, a potential opportunity that we should be going after. Here's how we're going to go and build, uh, uh, execute successfully across that strategy. And then I'm going to bring the results to the table and then as you continue to develop that level of trust of, okay, you're bringing really good ideas, strategy, and execution to the table, and you can drive results, you start to build up that credibility to be able to have more and more, to be brought into those conversations um, earlier and often. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. So is it, would you summarize that by saying like, okay, take the directives and the strategy that you're given and also kind of propose this other idea, say like, okay, we'll do those things, but also we did some research, we did some analysis, we found these insights, and we would like to also do this other pilot thing. Here's the business case for that. Is that cool? Is that kind of what you're... Yeah, because you want to be a good partner, right? So you don't... Yeah. And, and marketing, you know, we always have this issue in marketing of when do you say no? Because right. oftentimes marketing is being asked to do everything, you know, All go change the stuff, website, yeah. go go after this market, go and deliver more leads. And at some point, there is an area where you have to start to say no to certain requests because there's just not the bandwidth or the capacity or the resources to be able to do it. But also, in some cases, it's not the right approach. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but you have to pick your battles and you have to also make sure that you are thinking organizationally in terms of what is best for the business, not what's mm -hmm. best for my team, what's best for me to hit my goals, um, or even resource constraints, because you can potentially build business cases to get past resource constraints. What you want to figure out is what's best for the business as a strategy and as organizational <clears throat> direction moving forward, does this align to it? If so... And if it is like, this is the company direction and this is where we're headed, you can't just be like, no, no, I disagree. So right. we're going to go off and do our own thing. It's sure. Let's continue to support that. If you really believe strongly based off of the data and based off of the overall strategy and positioning and kind of all the things that you're bringing to the table, if you do believe that there's another way that you want to maybe experiment with, that to me is where you start to build business cases 
And you should constantly be thinking about that. What's best for the company? What's the next big thing that we should be going after? Let's start to pilot and let's start to experiment with that to see if there is anything there, right? Um, if we do have a product market fit, if we do have you know, a level where we can put a stake in the ground as, as, as thought leaders um, and, and, and as innovators in this space, and then start to get buy-in, build a business case, and then execute and see if that was successful. I think that would work really well. Um, and as somebody who you know, I speak with and interact with execs all the time, I mean, we have many clients, I think they would hate it if you were just like, no, but if you are proactive and you bring a, you know, a like if you're like, yes, and, and then you can build this business case and then you actually deliver on that and you can demonstrate that, then you're your trust quotient just skyrockets immediately. Absolutely. And then of course you, you gain a seat at the table, right? That's somewhat, that is where they say marketing should absolutely be part of this conversation um, because they bring in new insights. They bring, they bring, um, you know, specific areas that will help us drive our strategy and will be accountable for the execution and the results. Um, And it, it, it creates better alignment as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's great. Um, and I would encourage anybody listening right now, like if you are in that role, uh, that, you know, role that a lot of teams sometimes put marketers in, whether on purpose or not, where you're just basically order taking, like you just have a lot of stuff flying in different directions. I would totally recommend that advice, like come up with a plan of your own, build a business case for it, get buy into at least pilot it or test it. And then if you can produce a win, you absolutely, I think we'll get that seat at the table. That's great advice. Yeah. And that's great for any stage of career, right? And that is how you start to build your own personal brand as well as the credibility of, you know, what you produce at the table, because you're constantly bringing new solutions to the table that are really thinking about driving the business forward. I mean, that should be any, any position that shouldn't even be in marketing. That should literally be anyone who's early career or even later in their career, something that they're constantly looking at um, that will only help you in, in, in your career pathing and success. And that's really, I think, the hallmark of of more experienced folks that are later in their career. Like they come to, they tend to come into a situation and start advising proactively and telling you know the people that hired them what to do. Um, so I always ad- really admire like junior level people that um, that like Steve Jobs says like I don't want to hire an expert and tell him what to do. You know, I want to hire an expert that's going to tell me what to do. So I think that sometimes uh, the whole order taking syndrome may happen because um, because there's just not a lot being proposed otherwise, you know? Absolutely. And I think you do have to have the courage. And that's something that, you know, with any risk, there, it takes some level of courage, um, but also to gain credibility um, and that trust, that takes courage as well. But sometimes you might have to, um, speak up and 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 maybe even have a differing point of view. Um, but again, the more that you are able to showcase kind of some of the reasons why you have a dis- differing opinion, why you're willing to say no to something, um, why you want to propose a different solution, um, again, you're, it means that you're thinking, you know, holistically about the business, that you want what's best for the business. You can do it respectfully and with partnership. Um, but it does showcase that you're focused on overall receiving, you know, a- achieving business goals as a team and as an organization. 
Um, and it actually does allow for you to, you know, have the hard conversations, but potentially pivot an organization in the way that that could be, you know, hugely profitable and hugely successful um, with some of the the level of thinking and constant innovation there. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. Uh, let's talk about Rike a little bit. I, sure. uh, I'm familiar with the product. I've used it. We have clients that use it, um, and I know that you had been a user of it before you arrived there. How did you How did you end up there? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I was actually a right customer. We utilized it in our overall marketing organization when we were back at Conga for about four years. Um, hugely saw the value um, with any with any tech. You know, there's always a why are we bringing in new tech? It, it's kind of a you know barriers in terms of having to t- kind of train your whole team on a new system and new processes. But we just saw so much value in terms of the acceleration of bringing our campaigns to market. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that was huge, you know, especially for a demand gen organization of we have a lot of asks, we have a big numbers to hit, we have a lot of campaigns to produce and put out the door. How can we accelerate that through all of the alignment components, the collaboration, um, and bringing the full marketing team together to, to try and make sure that we're hitting our, our targets? And so I was, uh, you know, a Rike user and customer um, and then, you know, came on board to Rike. And largely it was because um, of, of kind of the secret that I had mentioned where marketing is a huge st- strategic driver for the business. Not only do we drive all new business acquisition, um, you know, really through kind of a lot of our digital channels driving to trials um, that then get sent to sales but also so much opportunity in terms of the market um, and work management. We were the pioneers in project management for the last, you know, 15, 16 years. Um, And we've seen such huge growth in this space, as well as huge saturation with a lot of uh, up-and-coming competitors. There's a huge opportunity for us to differentiate and to showcase why, you know, we are the most powerful platform for pretty much any use case at every single scale um, of company and industry. And so huge opportunity for us to really fuel the growth of the business through marketing strategy, not just in terms of leads and trials and pipeline, but actually across our corporate messaging, um, how we're positioned in the market, how we tackle the competitive landscape, how we really activate a go-to-market strategy um, across the full organization. So that was a huge reason why I joined. Love the product. Uh, great customers and then huge opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And do you consider yourself more, sounds like you're inbound led mostly, but like, what are your key go-to-market pillars? Is it like inbound led, product led, uh, event led, community led? Like how do you sort of think about and break down your go-to-market at Reich? Yeah. So go-to-market go for us, um, It is actually kind of similar to what you had said in terms of some of our core pillars um, are really around kind of that product-led space, um, really focusing on activating activating trials and turning them into users, um, customers, and then continuing to expand across that. So um, we really have one of those land and and expand types of motions Mm -hmm. um, where for project management, there's kind of a democratization of how people buy that software typically, mm-hmm. right? Um, you Typically, you understand that there's, you know, some product pro- uh, project management platforms out there. 
you could start a trial, you check to see, you know, does this fit my use case? You know, do I like this? And then you typically start with kind of, you know, your individual use case and team, and then you start to expand um, yeah. across, across, you know, more, more users, more use cases. Um, and then, you know, for Reich, our, our whole motion is really, as you know, again, as I said, we're the most powerful project management platform for teams, departments, and companies. And that is really our sweet spot is we start with those teams for those individual use cases. But then, you know, what people then start to see is they start to see the value and that accelerating time to market and improving productivity and collaboration um, across their team. And then we start to go into that department. Like similarly, when I was a right customer, we went into the whole marketing department because every single part of marketing touches each other, you know, and they should, and they should be fully aligned in terms of what are our goals and priorities and how do we execute for success. But then you can start to go actually enterprise wide. Um, And at Reich, it is actually phenomenal because all of our teams and departments roll up into organizational goals. So like I said, if you're at the top, fully aligned in terms of here's the organizational strategy, but at, you know, the individual contributor level, if there, you have people that are not focused on those, um, the appropriate paths, then you start to see, you know, decreased productivity and honestly, um, a lot of blockers to organizational success. And so actually getting a larger company and enterprise, um, all working in one work management platform where you have visibility into what are the blockers because there's so many departments that are working together um, across product or sales or marketing. And if you can really quickly be able to see, oh, there's a huge resource constraint or, oh, we're not aligned in terms of uh, larger goals. Um, you know, what does that look like? And it allows for you to move much faster as an organization. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can imagine the land and expand potential. Um, Cause like in larger orgs, like we have um, super large clients, like Amazon is an example, they all work in different teams. And yep. then even within a single team, there's a bunch of different departments. So do you guys have a lot of like those enterprise level accounts, which are small, like it's just one little team billing, but it's a huge name and just like evergreen sort of room for expansion inside of that account. Yeah, so. absolutely. And that's, you know, that's actually where the majority of our revenue is coming from as an organization is because there's so much white space within an account and you start to see so much adoption and value Mm -hmm. within teams and departments that as you start to then, you know, go cross departmentally, especially as those workflows and those work streams start to touch other departments, that's huge amounts of white space and opportunity for us. So actually this year, right, and, and what we're seeing in terms of a larger trend, and I'm sure because you talk with marketers every single day and organizations of all sizes, you know, we're going into this year and there's a lot of headwinds um, in 2023 where there's, you know, do more with less. You, you know, we're going to cut back in terms of spend and cut back in terms of resources and teams and, and all of those things. Um, you know, we are seeing a huge trend, one, in terms of that consolidation of tech, which is, you know, why are we using five different project management platforms in all these different teams. Let's actually consolidate into one because that makes more sense, obviously, economically as a company, but also it gets us that visibility that you wouldn't wouldn't have gotten when you have multiple platforms. But also 
there's a huge trend to focus more on, on customer expansion for, for marketers and for businesses because the cost of acquisition is so high. Yeah. Um, and so as you start to look into your, your install base, what does that actually look like in terms of the ability to be able to create more space for upsell and cross-sell um, where you already have advocates, you already have champions. Um, so that's, that's a huge driver for us as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh my goodness. I love the land and expand. Cause I mean, it's like, you know, anytime we're speaking with a client, that'll be my first question. Usually it's like, is land and expand an opportunity? Because, you know, just way less friction. You can literally say, Hey, two other Thermo Fisher teams use Reich and they're loving it. Like, do you want to use it? And it's just such an easier in. So I love that. That's awesome. So you've been at Reich now for uh, over a year. I know. What are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing? Yeah, and and as I mentioned, I think it's pro- there are probably challenges that every single marketer is facing right now, which is, uh, you know, how do you continue to drive and fuel growth for an organization um, while also really thinking hard about efficiencies, really looking at very, very closely at every single dollar that you're spending and ensuring that it is the right place um, and, and getting maximum value out of it, yeah. maximum, maximum ROI. It's nothing new for marketers at all. Um, that's something that you know the best marketers are constantly looking at. I would say that there's just even more focus um, for us to do even, you know, to, to get maximum value, um, even more so out of, out of each of those dollars that are being spent um, than even before. And so yeah. for us, you know, we're looking at, you know, obviously all of our acquisition strategies and making sure that not only are we driving quality and quantity, you know, um, at an efficient rate, but really focusing on our target markets where um, for us, it's about expected lifetime value um, mm-hmm. because we don't want to just, because you can definitely get, you know, a dollar, um, you can spend a dollar and get a dollar back or $2 back or whatnot in terms of that cost of acquisition. But for us, there are certain, um, you know, what we would call like ideal customer profiles. There's certain buying buying centers and types of companies where we know based off of the profile, we could see, you know, a five or a 10 X, you know, um, incremental expansion and net retention off of them just from that land and expand type of mentality versus some other types of, of markets. And so we're really focusing on what are those target audiences and how do we make sure that we're focusing our money there, where even if it's not immediate, um, you know, high ROI, in, in year one or in six months, but actually if we understanding the net retention value in three years, right. Um, or even beyond that, we know that we're going to have so much white space, um, you know, to, to expand and we'll have that net retention further on. So that's kind of one piece in terms of the acquisition. And then in terms of expansion, like I mentioned, we have so much white space in a lot of our mid-market and enterprise types of businesses where, you know, we have a team or department that really sees the value of Reich and really starting to build out more of the awareness across that larger organization, as well as, you know, find those um, collaborative workflows that, that connect those departments to try and get better visibility for that organization. So those are some of the, the, the challenges and opportunities, I would say, that we're really going after this year. Yeah. And uh, I noticed you guys do an amazing job of really telling uh, 
customer stories and doing so in such a way that highlights them as the hero of the story. You know, it's all about like how customer did X, Y, Z, not like how Reich helped customer do PDQ, you know, uh, which I think is awesome. I really admire that and think it's powerful. Um, do you have any other, uh, like, or do you have any successful uh, account expansion motions that you can talk about? Like, yeah, what's really so, working for you there? Yeah, and I love that you brought up the customer hero stories, um, you know, because for us, we have a fantastic customer base, um, you know, customers that love Reich, and, and I hear it all the time, which I always love to hear. Um, and, 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 you know, what we love to focus on, um, and it's because we hear it often is, you know, we've helped those customers define their careers at their companies. Um, you know, we've seen career progression for them as they gain visibility, as they, you know, start to get a seat at the table because they are able to implement and showcase strategies and improvements on productivity and efficiency. Um, and it actually get them up leveled and, and, and highly visible within their organization. So, that's one reason why we love to spotlight our customers. Um, and, you know, again, because we love to hear their stories as well. Um, in terms of expansion, you know, for us, there's a number of ways that we go about it. One is just through larger segmentation, um, because you do, you have, you know, different customers that have different needs and that have different um, opportunities in terms of, you know, the level of customization, the level of support that's necessary. And so, you know, we've been talking a lot about kind of a, um, almost a leveling of education and awareness um, as we as we look to support them, as we look to train them and onboard them, as we look to continue to showcase, you know, new ideas, best practices, ways to utilize our solution, both within their team and then outside the organization. Um, and, you know, I think of it as kind of a 101, 201, 301, 401, which is, you know, where are you essentially in kind of your maturity or your sophistication of how you're managing your work? Um, and so if, if you think about, you know, your just typical, you know, marketing manager, project manager, or literally anyone who's managing a team or projects, which is almost everyone yeah. uh, who works, you know, there's different levels of complexity where you might start with just spreadsheets or emails or things like that. Obviously, when you're on Reich, you're at a different level where you can start to build out better, better, uh, you know, task management essentially within projects. But then there's a level even beyond that as you start to even get more sophisticated and start to associate your workflow with someone else's. And, you know, again, across teams and departments where there's just levels of complexity um, where you want to do better roll-ups so that you can have reporting and dashboards so you can actually see across a full organization, you know, where are those bottlenecks? Where do we not have enough resources? Where are there delays in terms of some of those projects? And so, you know, for us, it is about <clears throat> how do we segment and how do we determine, you know, kind of where is a customer at in terms of their level of sophistication of utilizing the product, but also understanding how to better manage their work, <clears throat> along with the level of customization of everyone has a little bit of a different work style or a different workflow for their organization. So how do we customize it for them? So I think a lot of it does revolve around that level of segmentation and then ensuring that you're producing the right content and knowledge and enablement to be able to help them get to the next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
That makes a lot of sense. And what channels do you primarily reach them with? Is it mostly like email based that you're using on the expansion side or is it a lot of LinkedIn or are there BDRs or SDRs that are focused on those accounts specifically? Yeah. So we do have, um, there's a couple of things just in terms of uh, communities, our product, and then obviously marketing, right? So there's um, one is kind of sales-based, uh, the account managers that are servicing or the CS team that is, you know, servicing those, those, each of those accounts. There are communities, um, bit large active communities, obviously, where they could have peer sharing um, and knowledge sharing and, and get tips and tricks as well as more resources. Um, there is the level within the product, which is how do we utilize the product to fuel some of that product-led growth in terms of, hey, looks like you're struggling with this or, hey, did you know that there's actually you can automate that? workflow, um, uh, as well as there might be some different features or functions that you haven't yet um, been able to tap into. Um, And then there's the marketing component, which, you know, again, as as a strategic driver of an organization should help to uh, allow for us to tie all of those things together um, based off of the customer journey through a lot of email, but also, you know, is there um, are there advertise, uh, Are there um, levels of advertising channels or paid social channels or things like that that we could also utilize? Mm-hmm. Um, then there is, you know, the level of um, as we start to really think through expansion strategy, um, you know, what I would call kind of a, a pod mentality of kind of field marketers in conjunction with our field sales teams in conjunction with our SDR teams to really focus on target accounts determining, you know, what's kind of the next best product for them in a sense, like next use case, next team or department, next um, uh, level, you know, uh, maybe it's an upgrade. Um, What's the next best opportunity for them, the revenue potential, and then how do they work together to ensure that we have, you know, a good aligned motion, multi-channel across, you know, sales and product and marketing to ensure that we can showcase you know, if it's maybe another use case, or if we're trying to maybe get into a new team, what does that motion look like? And how do we have the right content, the right incentives, you know, the right strategy to get in front of the, those, those customers in a, in in an aligned way. That sounds very personalized and sophisticated that I bet works really well. (laughs) Um, You know, as with all marketing, it's all kind of, continued optimizations and a lot of testing and a lot of experimentation. So, um, you know, I think it sounds complex, but in in a lot of cases, it's just, it's more about alignment and making sure that we have plays that are fully aligned within kind of that pod mentality and that we, we can execute and then make sure that we're constantly testing to see what works, what doesn't, and then iterating and improving. That's awesome. Well, uh, Esther, time is flying by. I could talk to you about marketing for days on end, probably, Um, (laughs) but I want to switch gears. I want to talk about your personal story a little bit because you have a really inspiring story, I think, uh, for up and coming leaders, for women, for anybody really that's faced with uh, adversity um, and needs a little bit of, you know, a little boost of inspiration to kind of uh, overcome that. Could you tell us a little bit about your story and kind of your ascent to the to the C suite? Sure. <laughs> I'm like, how much time do we have? Uh, uh, I'll take I'll I'll do kind of the the short route. Um, so, in terms of kind of my career 
uh, journey. Um, and then, you know, happy to kind of talk through some of the personal aspects as well. Um, you know, my career journey is I've, I started out kind of generalist um, within marketing. So I started, I did a little bit of nonprofit, went into kind of agency and then moved into B2B tech um, and really just started out marketing manager company. You know, I think I was number employee number 50 or something. So pretty small, um, which means I wore a lot of hats, but it actually was fantastic because I was able to, as the company grew, start to build um, foundational programs, um, kind of within each function within marketing as the company grew. Mm. And as, as I mentioned, you know, kind of the secret, which was, um, really identifying like, what were some gaps? What were some big opportunities, um, that I didn't see really, you know, focused on in, in, mm. a, in a growing organization. And so, you know, moved into customer marketing because we had never had customer marketing before really started to build out retention, programs, but really focus on life cycle. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we do onboarding better? How do we focus on kind of, you know, moving them into the next stage, getting into advocates, getting into retention. Um, and I utilized at that point, I was really the only one utilizing kind of our, our email, our email program. And it was when, and I'm dating myself, it was when marketing automation first started to come on the scene um, and we weren't utilizing it appropriately. So again, that's when I built a business case to say, there's so much more opportunity that we could be utilizing marketing automation for than just sending out emails every once in a while. Mm-hmm. They built out a whole roadmap that actually went to the CEO. And then I basically moved into, we created a role, which was marketing operations. So I started to build out all of the marketing measurement, campaign measurement, tracking, routing, nurturing, all of those components, which then moved me into kind of demand gen um, and and started to build out really kind of the the acquisition uh, programs and ensuring that we had lead scoring, routing, all of those components to make sure that we could uh, fuel pipeline growth predictably. Um, Then I took on kind of, I actually went back to customer because the fire of the day was for for the organization was, and oftentimes what you see with high growth companies is you're product-led, everyone's focused on building a great product, then it's all sales, right? It's all about acquisition. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we forgot, we forgot about our customers and we're, they're churning. Um, and so churn was a big component. And so I actually moved into a customer role to really focus on, let's do some risk analysis. Let's look at segmenting our customer base, figuring out how do we retain them? And even before they start to be a churn risk, how do we make sure that we have a good um, customer experience? And then I saw oversaw kind of all of uh, the entire buyer journey and customer lifecycle. Then I moved into more of a demand generation role, um, building out again, demand gen and a smaller company, um, you know, and, and that's kind of been my career path as, as you think about, again, bringing solutions to the table, f- figuring out ways to scale and build out foundational programs uh, f- to fuel that growth um, mm-hmm. while bringing solutions to the table and innovative ways to think about it. Um, alongside some of that customer journey, or sorry, my career pathing journey, um, you know, I got married, started having kids. Um, and, you know, for me, I wanted to maintain career trajectory and upward momentum, but also not at the expense of my personal life and what was a priority for me. And so was able to really maintain a lot of that by basically, you know, with my first child, you know, um, I was able to kind of take my maternity leave. And then when I came back, um, I did two days in the office, two days at home and one day off. 
um, which was fantastic. I did that for the first year, which really allowed for me to have kind of both, you know, both the career pathing and, and making sure that I'm maintaining um, and, and producing from a career standpoint, but also the time I needed with my family. Um, you know, and every, and I always say this, especially when I'm mentoring um, people who are, and women who are earlier stage, which is, you know, figure out what's important for you um, in this stage of life, because it's it's not always going to be here, right? And and you have to really kind of decide for yourself what's most important. Um, and then and then make sure that you're holding firm on what's important to you at that time because it's not going to be forever. Um, and I knew that, you know, I could come back and be able to make sure I'm focusing on, you know, family when I needed to or career when I needed to or both at the same time. Um, and thankfully, I've had companies that are hugely supportive of that. Plus, again, you know, with the credibility that I was able to um, showcase in terms of my ability to be able to produce results, as well as to um, impact strategy, that all is super helpful. And then um, actually, when I was at Conga, you know, I had just started, you know, kind of in that another demand gen role. Um, and I think four months in, uh, you know, d- discovered that I had cancer. Um, and it was crazy. Like you never, never think that that's going to happen to you, um, especially at a young age. Um, but you know, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, uh, it was kind of the most kind of aggressive form, um, uh, in terms of that type of breast cancer. Um, but I, again, kind of decided, look, I'm not going to let this define me. I'm not going to be defined as like a cancer patient or anything like that. And so I chose, and again, it's, everyone has to decide for themselves kind of what, what makes the most sense for you. Um, I decided to continue to work kind of throughout all of the treatments. Um, and that actually really helped me because it fueled me because I knew that if I was just like at home in my pajamas, feeling horrible, like it would just compound. But if I could distract myself and focus myself on something else, it wouldn't be as bad. And so it was actually kind of crazy because it was like our busiest time of year. Um, I literally went into a, you know, my first chemo treatment. And two weeks later, I flew to London to produce one of our our biggest uh, user conferences for the year in London. I came back and did another treatment and then I flew to Las Vegas to do an even bigger user event, like three weeks later after that second treatment. Um, And then after I think my fourth treatment, I did Dreamforce and we do, we, we always did like a multi-million dollar scale, you know, huge production at Dreamforce. Um, And then even radiation was right after that. And that's every single day. And I'd be taking work calls, you know, on the way to the hospital and then on the way back. Oh my and my God. very last, yeah, my very last radiation treatment, actually the, the second to last, I remember I went to the hospital at 7 a.m. for radiation treatment, then went straight to the ho- or to the airport, flew to San Francisco for a work meeting, came back that night, and then the next day had my final radiation treatment. So, wow. um, like I said, I don't, rec- I, I, it's not that I recommend that for anyone, for everyone. Um, yeah. It worked for me and I had huge support from my family and from my husband and, you know, um, you know, and from my company around all that. Um, and, and it did, it worked for me. It went well, uh, but a year later had, you know, kind of an emergency surgery, um, you know, 
didn't go very well, you know, kind of all of these things. And so actually, you know, I had, had a chat with my, my husband at that time and we were like, maybe it's time for me to take a break. <laughs> yeah. I think my body is telling me like, you've been going, like I traveled so much that first yeah. year of treatments and surgeries and all of that stuff. Um, and so, you know, decided to kind of take a step back, took a sabbatical. My company was hugely supportive. Um, cause sometimes again, you, you have to make the decisions that are right for you at that time. So I took a sabbatical about six or seven months, which was fantastic. Um, and really focused on my health and really focused on my family and then came back, um, to an even bigger role actually at, at the company, you know, so again, all that to say, um, it worked for me. Um, I don't necessarily recommend it for everyone, but you know, for me, it's about really determining what's most important to you in this phase of life right now, understanding it's not forever. Um, and then making sure that you create space for that. Wow. That (laughs) is an amazing story. And I mean, like, just like, I couldn't imagine juggling all those things, like up and coming career, big demands, young kids, two young kids, and then a cancer diagnosis on top. Like I would be curled up in a ball, just sucking my thumb all day, probably. Um, Uh, So, you know, I learned mentality is, is everything and not everything, but it's a lot. Right. And it is how you choose to tackle, you know, what's in front of you. Um, and again, it's, it's not forever. Um, but mindset is a lot and mindset can get you through a lot. So I would say mindset. And then the second is making sure that you have, um, kind of people that, that can support you because you can't do it alone. Um, and again, I have a phenomenal family, um, and I had phenomenal team and company with, you know, huge support. Um, so, I think those are, those are big things that, that I, you know, for me at least were huge takeaways. Yeah. And you seem to be really good at recruiting mentors too, like either formal or informal. How do you do that? How do you get mentorship from, from others? Yeah. And I'm trying to think, cause I, I don't know that I've actually even had like formal, formal mentors where I've said, I'd like you to mentor me. Let's, let's meet. But I've actually implemented those mentorship types of programs um, at every company, every more recent company that I've been in, because I do think that it's hugely important. But informal, I think, is huge as well, where, you know, making sure that you're constantly connecting with people who just have different perspectives than you, um, you know, and they can be at every level. They can be, you know, even more junior to you or more senior in different different industries or different functions. Um, it's all about you know, constant growth and getting different perspectives. So um, for me, you know, I've been able to build out some mentorship programs just because I think it's hugely important. Um, even even if it's not, you know, you're meeting every month or whatnot, but even just to get more human connection when we're in such kind of a hybrid and remote environment, oftentimes, um, you know, I and, and to hear from from people who just have you know, different life experience than you or different career experience than you, I think it's always helpful. Um, so it's always something that I recommend. That's amazing. Esther, you have an awesome story. I'm very, very impressed by you. Uh, I think that, and I'm happy for you and cancer free now. I know I read. Yes. Yes. Um, we, we didn't mention it, but congratulations <laughs> on that. Congratulations Thanks. on being CMO at an awesome company. Like, great product, great people, great investors. We know Vista pretty well. Um, so I'm so happy for you. That's, that's 
Awesome. Uh, and I know you have a hundred things to do, so let's get you out of here for today. <laughs> um, if you are liking this, if you were inspired by uh, today, please drop us a like or a comment, share it with your friend. We'd appreciate it. Um, Esther, if you, or if uh, people want to hear more about your story or learn more about Reich, where would you point them? Yeah. So um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn um, personally. And then obviously if you're interested um, in Reich, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn and, and ask me about it. Um, or you can go to Reich.com. Awesome. I will definitely check it out. We're actually shopping. So we're a sauna heavy right now. Um, but I am I am definitely going to add Reich to the short list of um of platforms to look at. You said absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Esther. Uh, we will be in touch very soon. I hope we can have you back sometime. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for letting me share my story. Absolutely. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days. 